Hello, everyone. It's Dan, and welcome to Rockin' All Week with you. Yeah, Happy Days Podcast, Season 7, Episode 3. We are on Marion Goes to Jail and Richie's Job. We are in October of 79. Uh, Marion Goes to Jail is October 2nd. Richie's Job is October 9th. We are getting very close to 1980. I can remember being a youngster throughout the entire run of the show. I never stopped being a youngster uh, by the time the show ended, but I remember very clearly. When did when did Enos premiere? You remember the the spinoff from Dukes of Hazzard? When did, I feel like Enos premiered around this time. I remember Enos premiering around a Christmas. Oh, maybe it was nineteen eighty. No, I think it would have been. I don't know. What what where were we in Dukes? Where were we in Dukes of Hazzards? Like third season or something. Ah, Enos may have been. I don't know where I, I went on an Enos thing right there. I was I was trying to I was trying to reminisce. We'll do it when we get closer to the uh, Christmas. No, there is no Christmas episode in this season. Next season, I'll reminisce some more. But when did Enos air? I'll have to look that up. And if I can find episodes, I'll do it on Adventure Super Train. And I I want to say something here because I know that I will forget to say it on Eventually Super Train. And that's I accidentally did a recording. You um you might have heard a, a few of the recordings where I had the microphone setting wrong and the uh and my audio was pulling from the microphone on the laptop rather than the microphone it's using now. So my sound was awful. So I want to apologize and I hope the sound is better here. Anyone listening to Eventually Super Train, there was one particular group of segments that was like, whew. Ooh, but hopefully this sounds much nicer. It's about Happy Days, so it should be much nicer, because we're in what? We're in 1961. Arnold still has his espresso coffee thing. It's still cold out because the Fonz is wearing his scarf. And, uh, yeah, and Marion uh, uh, goes to jail. I, It's it's funny. It's it's. I put down the initials, and Marion goes to jail, MGTJ. When I looked at it, I almost said Marion gets a job. That was an episode, wasn't it? Anyway, Marion gets a, Marion goes to jail. Written by Barbara Berkowitz, uh, directed by Jerry Paris, and in this one, uh, it's uh, Marion shows up, and she is in a tizzy because the DeSoto's been stolen. She doesn't know where it is. She still has the key, so they must have broken into the car. And we learn later that a car has smashed into the side of Arnold's over on the left. You know, when you walk in in the back, you go to the left to wait the other the other wall from where the bathroom is. A car has gone through the wall, and it's the DeSoto. And Officer Kirk shows up. Hooray, Officer Kirk's back. And basically... Uh, takes Marion in or, or tells Marion that it was it was her fault. Uh she forgot to set the emergency brake and the car or or she she they say the car didn't have the emergency brake set and Marion can't remember whether or not she said it and it rolled down the hill and smashed into Arnold. Yeah, I don't know exactly how that would work. I mean Arnold I mean did didn't we see, doesn't Arnold have like a wall or something up around it? Or I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't it's it's one of those things where if you if you think about it rolling down and smashing into that spot. I don't think it fully makes sense, but we're going to go with it. We're going to go with it. I do like the fact that there is, right in, right in front of Arnold's, there is a one of them big Milwaukee hills that goes goes right up in the air. Um, 
I'm sure Milwaukee has hills. No, no, no. I just it's a, as a, when I actually thought about the layout and how it worked, and oh, it rolled down the hill to Arnold's. Arnold's is at the bottom of a hill. Uh, that point is at the bottom of a hill where cars can, where where like there there's a street right opposite where it can roll. I don't get it. Um, but then you're not meant to. You're just meant to have a good time because what happens then is is Marion. Um, uh, Mr. C really yells at Marion. He really loves that DeSoto, and he seems to. Um, take the DeSoto side over Marion's and she goes to court and they say you could pay a fine which unfortunately she can't pay so she goes to jail for I believe five days is it and um things go wacky from there actually things don't really kind of go wacky but um I'll talk about that in a minute let me play you a little bit of music and uh and I'll be on the other side talking about Marion goes to jail like this episode it's a it it has the feel very much of a um we're going back to the 50s again you know with the wife doing something really wacky and causing some problem and the husband getting mad but then having to in the end be like okay i overdid it and that sort of thing so it has a it has a feel like we're back in the 50s rather than maybe 1961 although maybe 1961 also uh so it has a feel like we're back in that time period i mean the the actual i mean the talk of the desoto um I guess puts us in that time period. The rest of it could be 1979, but it does have very much a, a, a 50s, a early 60s um, plotline to it, which uh, which is which is fun. I mean, it's it's weird because it is about Marion going to jail, but at the end of the day, regardless of whether or not Marion is in jail and she doesn't like it there and she's sad and everyone's sad for her being there. Um, the the episode uh, is really just about uh, Mr. C apologizing uh, for being a jerk. That's that's the whole thing. And actually, it's actually funny. As I watch it, I thought this could have been a much more succinct episode if it was made, if it was on the radio back in like the 30s or maybe early television when they used to do like 15-minute shows. This would have been a great like 11 or 12-minute thing with it starts right off with, I crashed the car. You're a jerk for crashing my car. You're so irresponsible. Well, I went to court and I got put in jail. Ma's in jail. I'm sorry, dear. Oh, let's go home. Dum But they stretch it out and they add some comedy and they add some wackiness about Mr. C entering some sort of winter golf course where Chachi is his um, caddy. And that kind of... It's, it's interesting. It sort of does that... It's, it's like... Um... Mr. C, like, Mrs. C goes out, Mr. C goes on his golf tournament, and in between Mr. C leaving for his golf tournament and returning for his golf tournament, Mrs. C goes to court and is in jail, and everyone goes to visit her, and they come back, and when Mr. C returns, they tell him, Ma's in jail, he goes right there, gets her out, apologies, it's over. So they do that interesting thing where um, if there hadn't been a golf tournament, then he would have got the call right away and it would have been wrapped up right away. But uh, the golf, I call it the, um, I call it the Friday the 13th part two, possibly part three um, plot dodge. Because you know, in, in, in Friday the 13th part two, Ginny and her boyfriend and a bunch of uh, the camp counselors leave the camp 
and go to uh, on the night of I imagine Friday the 13th during the big rainstorm and they go into town and they go to a bar and they hang out and some of them like the big goofy guy who you think will get killed survives simply by the fact that during the night when everyone is killed he has a little too much to drink and he stays in town at a hotel uh, but what, what, what basically happens is Ginny, the final girl, and her boyfriend, who may or may not survive at the end, it's a little tough to tell, um, they go into town and hang out with a bunch of people in town. And the, the bad counselors, they're not that bad. They were just a little naughty. Or they can't go. Um, I like the guy in the wheelchair and the gal who stays because she wants to diddle the guy in the wheelchair. Um, uh, they stay back at the camp. And while they're back at the camp, Jason begins killing them. So there's the, there's the thing where... Um, yeah, where the, uh, you know, the final girl and her boyfriend and a bunch of other people leave the premises. Jason kills everybody. And then Ginny and her boyfriend show up in the end just in time for the final girl chase. So it's kind of like the big plot. To like, part three does that somewhat where um, Dana Kimmel's character and her um, estranged boyfriend there, they go for a walk in the woods and they get lost and it takes them forever to get back. And, um, uh, and by the time they get back, almost everyone's been killed. And uh, there's another film uh, that doesn't do it as extremely, uh, a film called Happy Hell Night, where um, the uh, the one guy who knows that Malias or Malias is is back from the, is broken out of the asylum and is, is going to the fraternity to kill everyone, he is delayed, like, in the film for almost 20 minutes by a cop who stops him by the side of the road. The cop stops him and says, may I see your license? The cop goes back to the car, and then it's like 12 minutes later before we get back to the guy and then it takes him like 10 more minutes to actually get to the frat house so I call that the delaying tactic and that's what happened here they make a big deal out of Mr. C golfing and how bad he golfs and there are a lot of jokes about uh, him losing the balls and, and, and Chachi not being able to find them and you know well we've got a, a, a two dozen balls uh, uh, Chachi yeah but what about the second hole yeah comedy and it's, it does some good stuff anyways. Um, and Mrs. C, and, and Marion Ross is lovely when she's sitting there and she, she's trying to put up a brave face about being in jail. And she's obviously, she's not in jail that long. She's not in jail that long because she goes to, she goes to jail after Mr. C begins the golf tournament and then is out of jail as soon as the golf tournament is done, remembering that there is no one at the golf tournament, no one shows up at Mr. C. I don't know how long... I don't know if they say nine holes, 18 holes, whatever it is. I don't know how long that takes, but that's how long she's in jail. The time it takes Mr. C basically to do this golf tournament. Three hours, four hours, six hours. I can't imagine it's pleasant. This thing bad. She has a TV. She's made some friends, but she really doesn't like it. It's not for her. Jail isn't for Mrs. C. You know, an accident happened. She may or may not have forgot to set the parking um, break. Um, but the big thing, of course, is Mr. C really bawling her out. This is the most irresponsible thing you've ever done, Marion. You know what, Mr. C? <coughs> Pardon me, you can yell at that. You can say that to your kids because you raise your kids. You start your kids from the ground up and it's your job to instill in your kids some sort of morals, some sort of responsibility. So if, if Joni does something like that, if Richie does something like that, well, you don't want to yell at him that much because we all make mistakes, but you can also say, you know, that was really irresponsible. If I'm letting you use the car and you park it on a hill, what is one of the rules? Apart from, like, putting the wheels to the curb kind of thing, 
you put the emergency brake on. That's something you do. And, and so the, the kid, if the kids did it, yeah, that's a mistake. And I, I, I can, I can see it. He loses his temper and he apologizes for it later on. But um, I don't mean to, to, to me. It's the sign of. Um, uh, I mean, I mean, are they going to do an episode of this where they do that thing that a lot of sitcoms did, where the people will count to ten, ten one. To, to calm themselves down because Mr. C I mean we expect that from Mr. C and we expect them to yell at the kids and I mean I always like to think you know where is Chuck Chuck did something really irresponsible Mr. C killed him and they carved up his body and, and shoved it into the furnace and that's why we never hear we will never speak of Chuck again Daddy, why is the why is the why is there such a weird smell coming out of the vents in the house? Don't worry about it. That's the dorm that drip blood. I'm going full slasher crazy in this um, episode, and I apologize, everyone. Maybe I'm in a slasher mood. Maybe I think you know. I think what it is, we're in 1979, 1980. We are in prime first era. First the the first era slashers are being made with startling rapidity right at this moment. And uh, in a year, they'll be all over the place. And uh, well, in six months, I don't know, November, December, January, February, March, April, yeah, seven months, seven, eight months, they'll be all over the place. But I think that's why I'm getting slashery because when I think 79, 80, I think 79, I think, oh, Dracula came back for a time and disco is at the height in 80 disco is starting to drop and we get the slashers hitting. And that's the thing. That's always the thing. Like I've said, like I said before, like with prom night, when they made prom night in like the, spring fall of 1979 disco was huge but uh getting it to a distributor and getting it scheduled to be released by the time it actually came out in july of 1980 disco was pretty much disco was still out there but it wasn't really hip anymore and so it ended up looking like this weird kind of like Canadians being behind the times or something like that when actually they were with the times it just took a while you know that's why terror train keeps the disco music to a minimum. Now I want to watch Terror Train and Prom Night again. Uh, so, anyways, happy days. Um, there are some funny gags here with the with the car on the wall, and and I love the Fonz. Like when Arnold says it's tough keeping people just walking in the hole or walking out of the hole, um, and the Fonzie draws a line and said, "If anyone steps over this line, you know, without your permission." They got to speak to me, and there's some good gags there about how cold it is, and um, uh, Arnold has great uh, earmuffs on. It's so cold, mold, and he picks up a burger. There's no mold. How dare you speak about my burgers like that, <laughs> Arnold? And um, well, Al, actually, I say it's it's in Arnold. I'm, I'm going to do that until the end. I should just call him Al Molinero. Um, why don't I call him Al? Why don't I know to call him Al? I mean, you'd think one day I'd figure that out. But anyway, uh, so so there's some funny stuff there, and there's funny there's you know it starts off uh, it starts off okay. It's 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 really kind of weird the way it begins. Um, and then I, and then I will go back and finish up what I was saying. I'm sorry, I got I got I got I got on a, a tangent. I'm gonna go back to Mr. C yelling at Mrs. C. And that feels very sort of like that sets it in the time too. That feels very much like an early 60s thing to me. Like, you know, you spend most of your time in the house taking care of my house and taking care of the kids. Every once in a while, I let you out of the house without me. And when you go out of the house without me, you have to be responsible because if you make an error, you're going to get yelled at. Now, not that I remember Ward yelling at June like that, you know. And sometimes, you know... Sometimes, you know, sometimes June would have trouble with the beaver, but her and Ward would work it out at night. And, um, but you'd never hear him, uh, yell at her like that. And, um, 
you'd hear Ralph Cramden yell at Alice like that, but I don't know that Alice ever really left that apartment, which is depressing as hell. Yeah, Alice, that's maybe more of a 50s thing, I guess. Yeah, and Ricky would yell at Lucy like that. Yeah, that's more of a 50s thing. That's a very 50s thing. But then also, Archie Bunker used to yell at Edith like that. I don't know if by this point, by this point in 79, we are in Archie Bunker's place, but I'm not sure historically if Edith has passed yet. But um, yeah, Archie used to yell at Edith like that. Um, and Edith, you should just take it and do her own thing. That was Archie. But Mr. C isn't really supposed to be like that. You don't yell at your you don't yell at your your, your partner, your loved one, your spouse like that. You don't do that. Um, and I know again, Dan. It's said in 1961, and he may have done so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's why he has to apologize later on. It does feel very harsh when he yells at her like that. You know, yelling at her like she's a dog who just accidentally peed on the floor. You know, and 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 the thing that makes it so weird is that. Well, first off, Kirk returns and the audience treats him like the most hilarious thing on television since Arnold Drummond. Or, you know, when Robin Williams first appeared. You know, my God, this guy is funnier than Gary Coleman. They laugh at everything Kirk does. You remember what Kirk has done in the past, right? He's not a nice guy. He he would, he would give it half a chance, he would shoot Fonzie dead in the street if he could. And, and you're laughing at him like this. You know, and, and it's funny because in the end... Uh, when the Fonz gives Mr. C the bill for fixing the soda, it's $7. That can't be right. No, that is right. Um, you don't charge family. Uh, you don't charge family for labor, just for parts. So it's $7, and then we'll get to what the $7 was for. So you have you have the Fonz who really is part of their family, and, and yet they're willing to um, laugh hysterically. A lot. No, no, they're not willing to. They're willing to do what Kirk says because he's a cop. The audience is in hysterics by everything Kirk does. And we should know by now that Kirk isn't funny. Kirk is an unpleasant person. You know, you could laugh at Clink and Schultz in Hogan's Heroes, even though they're Nazis, because they were goofballs. They were goofball Nazis. And neither of them, I always thought the thing with uh, um, Clink, Clink and... Um, uh, Klink and Schultz is that they've been they've been in the German army for ages, and this Nazi thing is like is really not for them. That's why they're like you know a prisoner of war camp. That's what you do. You have a prisoner of war camp. That's not for them. And all this other crazy shit they hear the Nazis doing, uh, they're kind of like oh I see nothing. I you know that kind of thing. So 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 there's something weird about that. And then and then the thing that the show would do is every once in a while it would it would uh, a full on like Nazi officer would come in and they'd have to put him in his place. But um, Kirk yeah Kirk is just an awful sort of 50s, 60s, by-the-book authoritarian cop who's after the greasers. The problem is, of course, is that the Fonz... Kirk has not evolved, but the Fonz has. And so having them laugh at Kirk just feels inappropriate. It feels inappropriate. It feels like I've said before. It feels like in those very special episodes of, like, different strokes and facts of life when, like, awful stuff is happening and yet you have to keep the jokes going. So, so people are still making little funny asides or, you know, they'll be, like... I'm sure if I went back and watched like the the Gordon Jump Different Strokes two-parter there, it was a two-parter, right? The Bicycle Repairman one. I'm sure there are moments where he says stuff that are horrible. He says horrible things and the audience laughs hysterically. And that's kind of what this is. You know, this isn't as bad, obviously. Kirk is trying to do his job. He's just an incompetent boob. So yeah, so you get Kirk being a boob and the audience loves him. Luckily, he's not in it that much. He, he fades away. Once Mary goes to court, he's gone. But it's weird that they brought him and it's like, oh my gosh, let's bring Kirk back. Whose idea was that? Who's, you know, whose dad is he that they brought him back? I've, got, I've actually got it right here. I don't know the actor's 
a name. They got a lot of story editors. A lot of story editors on the show. My God, they got a lot of story editors. Dave Ketchum and Tony DeMar. Ed Peck. Oh, let me just let me just go back through this. This is wacky. So it's creative consultant, uh, creative consultant Robert L. Boyet, production consultant Tony Marshall, executive script consultant Walter Kemp. I don't know what that means. Executive story editor Fred Fox Jr., story editor Beverly Bloomberg, story editor Bob Howard, story editor San Greenbaum, executive story consultants David Ketchum, Tony DeMarco. My God, this should be the best season of anything anywhere. I mean, in, in, in most of the Green Acres season, uh, Dick Chevrolet was in charge, was the, the story, was basically the story uh, editor, script editor guy. And he and Jay Summers wrote all the scripts. That was two people writing all those. And this, how many names did I just name off? Story consultants. And what, I mean, really? It took that many people to come up with? How about um, Marion crashes the car, Mr. C yells at her, and to prove a point, she goes to jail. Or, or how, or, or even, even prob- probably what actually happened was, how about Marion goes to jail? Yeah. And the thing with Marion goes to jail is it implies that there might be stuff happening like Oranges of the New Black or like um, a Jess Franco, like um, Wanda the Wicked Warden, um, kind of Ilsa the Wicked Warden, sorry, um, 99 Women kind of thing, or, you know, Bruno Matai, Women's Prison Massacre. I'm kidding. Um, but, but it implies that she, it's going to focus on her in jail, but it doesn't. You just get, what is it, three scenes? Is it three scenes where, um, three scenes or two scenes where she's just sitting there in jail and the, the security guard, the guard is there and the guard's very nice and lets uh, Mary and Mrs. C kiss even though the alarm goes off and she's very sweet and she listens. She's very funny. I, um, the actress is, um, oh, Marsha Lewis. So you, you know, you know her when you see her. And, uh, but she, she's great. She's a lot of fun. Oh, thank you. She's great. She's a lot of fun. And, um, uh, so she's great. She's a lot of fun. Uh, but the, it's, 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 um, uh, but but let's let's go back. I, I just want to, and I'll stop talking. But I want to go back to when the start of the episode, Mrs. C first appears, and then the very end of the episode where we get the zing. I don't know if the zing is really needed at the end because the zing at the end makes because you could you could semi understand Mr. C's anger. You wish he wouldn't have said what he said, but he does apologize, and it is, I think, it's an honest apology. Okay, is anyone else disturbed by the opening of the episode? Watch Marion when she comes in and um, starts uh, talking to everyone. I mean, she seems she seems touched. She she seems like uh, she seems like she'd be a little old lady walking in and like Grandma Marion, what's going on? I don't know what happened to the car. It's gone missing. Well, what, do you remember? I parked it on the hill, and I still have the keys. Well, how do you have the keys? How do they steal it if you still have the keys? Now, obviously, they could hotwire it. This is, you know, the early 60s. I mean, weren't people hotwiring cars left, right, right, and center for drag racing and things in the 50s? I could be making that up. But, um, but there is a thing where it's like, so you still have the car, and you parked it on the hill, you know, and it's it's just, watch her in this, because... It seems like until Marion, it's it actually seems like Marion is one of the reasons why you get mad at Mister C or I got mad at Mister C Elliot is because Marion seems slightly touched. Like I always, whenever I start watching this episode, I always think there's going to be a point near the end where, like maybe like um, 
like someone walks in and says, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I, you know, I, I hit your car. Don't you remember? I hit your car. Remember you bumped your head. You were little dazed, but you said you were all right. Something like that. Like she was in an accident and she hurt her head or, or, or maybe she's got onset of Alzheimer's. I don't know. But the way they present it, the way she describes the car being stolen, but she still has the keys and she parked on the hill. And then when she sees it, she sees it crashed into the side of Arnold's. And Al is distraught, and she realizes what's going on. Um, and then Mr. C's yelling at her. To me, it really honestly feels like there's something else going on. Like Mrs. C is um, has been touched. Not by an angel, but by some sort of neurological something or other. It's... Um, it always it always disturbs me whenever I whenever I see this bit and uh, luckily by the end she's clearly back and fine metal because there's there's a great that great scene I mentioned you know uh, Fonzie coming in with the bill and there's a great bit where um uh, she she makes up something in her in her fortune cookie and then um, which is charming and then and then we get the zing and then Mr C makes up something in his fortune cookie just off the top of his head and it's it's also very charming and it's very lovely but it does do something at the end now let's I'm not going to dwell on the fact that I thought Mrs C was sort of like like the first stage of of some sort of neurological issue and is forgetting how she I mean that's the way watch it again that's the way it's presented the car was there and then the car's not there where's the car I mean she can't look down the hill. She, I mean, it doesn't think to her to look down the hill and see, oh my gosh, there's a there's a car cra- the, at the bottom of this hill where I just parked my car in the direct trajectory of where my car would have rolled down the hill. Boom, there's a car crashing into the side of Arnold's. It doesn't think to her, to, and, th- and that's what that's what worries me. That's what makes me think, I'm going to stop. But the end, in the end, you learn that she may have set the emergency brake but the Fonz told Mr. C three months ago the emergency brake wasn't working right and needed to be replaced. So it's actually Mr. C's fault for not replacing the emergency brake. And so everything that Mrs. C went through that day is Mr. C's fault. And it's funny because you, you wish that she would kind of yell at him. The episode is at the end. It's, it's, a tricky, it's a tricky thing because what I would have actually loved if the show was this kind of show and it's not is I would have loved it right at that moment if Mrs. C stood up and yelled at him. And stormed up to a room or, or stormed out to a friend's house or something like that. And Mr. C was just sitting there going, oh my gosh, what did I do to be continued? That would have been a really interesting thing. But the thing is, it's like when the Fonz says, oh, the emergency break, it wasn't your fault, Mrs. C. It was his fault. Now, we don't know whether she, she does say sometimes she doesn't put the emergency break on. But what she doesn't really say is, I, I don't always put the emergency break on when I'm on a hill. Or when I need to, you know, she just says, I mean, here's the thing, like, I, I, you know, I've driven cars where I, I didn't trust them at all not to roll, even on level surfaces, they weren't great cars. And I would always put the emergency brake on when I would park the car. And, and so the fact that she says, I, I don't always remember to put on the emergency brake, whether or not she put on the emergency brake is irrelevant because it didn't work. In the end, is irrelevant because it didn't work. So she could legitimately yell at Mr. C as much as he yelled at her. But she chooses to forgive him for doing that and everything. She, I, I think she just doesn't want to think about it. And, and maybe that's something she can use in the future. If she does something again, she could say emergency break and use that in the future. But I think really what's happened right there is she's gone through a lot that day. Maybe not quite as much as implied, but she's gone through a lot. Now she just wants to relax. 
um, uh, Richie and Joni are out. I don't know. I guess they're at Arnold's with a huge hole in the side and everyone's freezing, but they're having a nice fun party. And, and they're by themselves eating the Chinese food, enjoying the egg rolls, enjoying the fortune cookies, having a lovely evening. And that revelation isn't enough for Marion to demand apologies, demand restitution, as it were. So, so they let it ride and they let it, they let it go on. Maybe she'll bring it up later, zing him about it. I don't, I don't know. But it, but it also does have the feeling of, it is the end of the episode and you have to stop here. You know, this isn't the Fonz leaping over, you know, garbage cans, whatever he was leaping over. This isn't Joni out of control on a, you know, stagecoach or whatever the hell she, a wagon or whatever, cart, horse-drawn cart, whatever she was on. You know, this isn't, you know, this isn't, oh my God, what happened to Pinky? You know, this is, um, this is, uh, this is this sort of fighting and, and, um, yeah, I guess when we think it's Mrs. C doing it, that we base the episode around her irresponsibility. But then when we learned it was his irresponsibility, we just go, oh, that's Mr. C, and the episode ends. Oh, well, that's that. Next up, Richie's Job, written by Terry Hunt, uh, October 9th. I know Terry's brother. Uh, 10979, directed by Jerry Parison. In this one, Richie gets a job um, at, I believe he gets a, he gets a job at a newspaper. He's all excited because he wants to be a reporter and he thinks everything's going to be great and things don't really go that great. Listen to this. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. The woman I love just left and took. <laughs> I've been working for. And don't you try and stop me because I'm a walking quick note before i start talking about this episode uh, this won't be a very long chat i actually did a i did a first take of this all the way through uh, where i got a little angry at the episode so i decided i'm going to do a shorter calmer one which will begin now this episode is about richie uh wanting to uh, make some money get a job start working at the working at the milwaukee journal sentinel you know kind of because he wants to be a writer uh, he mentions that he and Larry Beth couldn't go to a Shirelles concert. That's that keeps us grounded in, you know, this 1961. The Shirelles' biggest hits kind of hit at the end of '60 and '61, '62. So we're definitely sort of in early '61. He gets a job at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Um, Richie uh, Potsy and Ralph are dressed up as cardinals. I've got some sort of birds related to the uh, something school related, and they look idiotic, but but amusing. And uh, the Fonz does a fake job interview for Richie in his office, and then then Richie gets a job in distribution, which is basically sort of working in a sort of garage area where the papers come down and they put them on carts, and then they bring them to the the spots. And uh, the th- the thing with the episodes. Uh, uh, over the past few seasons, I've been, uh, as you know, I've been liking Richie less and less, and this one doesn't. This one doesn't really change my opinion towards Richie. I don't particularly like him more in this episode than I did in previous ones. The way they're writing him um, is they're like they're, they're just writing him more and more annoying, like not Urkel annoying, but still annoying. And he's becoming less funny as he goes, although the crowd seems to love him. And Ron Howard is really now leaning into that, like Richie being just overboard and like he's gonna go in there and he's gonna take over today which of course is ridiculous that's not going to happen that's not the way stuff like this works and no one really you know um says to him you know that might not happen but he goes in anywhere to try to do that but obviously he's not going to do that in distribution because he works with a guy whose name i don't remember another guy who's closer to his age but is married with a child and has an apartment who i want to say is named frank 
I'm not going back to watch the episode again to find out if his name was Frank. But he, I, th- I think you can see when he arrives at the job, things are going a little bit weird because he arrives, he arrives there, and this is more or less his first job. Like apparently been there for ages, you know. So, so what do I do? What do I need to do? You know, um, some sort of training course or something. Uh, yeah, you stand here, you get the papers here, you put them over here, you do this, then you. Do, and he's very condescending and he's very rude, and the, the audience is in hysterics. I was going to say something snide, but I stopped myself. The audience is in hysterics over it. And um, at the end of it, Richie's none the wiser to what his job is. And then he meets Frank, like I said, who's, who's close to his age, who is very like, what's this college kid doing here? And he's like very physically, uh, verbally abusive, and then later physically abusive. He actually violently attacks Richie with like one of the big carts that they push the um, things that he's trying to smash into Richie's ankles and, and legs and stuff later on, which is which is a big and he grabs Richie too and stuff and that's that's a big no you know this this is not you know like if he was a jerk in a gang uh then that might be something if they were at Arnold's or at school that might be something but this is an actual job that they're all getting paid for um you don't do that and there's a weird montage where Richie just keeps messing stuff up and it keeps cutting to the old guy rolling his eyes and all he could think was well you didn't train him how to do the job and now when he's not doing the job right, you're you're kind of rolling your eyes like, ugh, why can't this college kid do the job? Because you didn't show him how to do the job. First job I ever had, I was a cashier at a supermarket at Harrimus Bells near Lake Ontario. Got the job with seven of my friends. We were all cashiers except for one of my friends who I think worked in produce. That was a much nicer job. And we worked minimum wage. Minimum wage was like three eighty five an hour. So that means you'd work an eight-hour shift. And this wasn't like I wasn't working back in the forties and fifties where three eighty five an hour was a lot of money. Three eighty five wasn't a lot of money <laughs> when I in the early nineties when I was doing this. Three eighty five was not a lot of money. Three eighty five was it, it was just so weird. You'd work an eight hour shift, you'd stand at a cash register as people went through the line and you had to ring everything up that they had and it wasn't all automatic. Some of the stuff you had to look at price tags if it didn't ring up and you'd have to check on prices and You'd have to do all that yourself, and you'd have to um, you'd have to ring people up because there were no credit card machines or anything like that, and so and you'd have to if there were coupons, you had to take all the coupons and add them all up and everything, and take care of those, and you had to take their credit card or their cash or their checks, a lot of checks at that time, and then you had to bag everything yourself unless you happen to have a bagger there, but generally you didn't. If you were in the express line, you you know you worked double time and you worked so hard for eight hours, and then when you got your check for that day, you know like after taxes. I don't know, you, you, you made, what, like 28 bucks? <laughs> it was just freaking ridiculous. I'm sure Richie made less, um, but probably not much less um, working uh, at this, this new newspaper place. But the, but the thing is, yeah, the job I did, they trained us for four full days. Like, there were like four four-hour shifts where we were taught how to do work the cash registers and everything. He is given a condescending 12-second training session, and then they wonder why he can't do the job. Stupid writing. Uh, then, yeah, Frank becomes more and more unpleasant. The one funny scene in the episode... Uh, actually, Ralph and Potsy are funny, but the one funny scene in the episode is when Richie is really exhausted. You can't understand what he's saying, but Fonzie comes in and says, I speak tired. How's your day, Rich? Oh, they've got you working in distribution. Oh, it's hard work. And you're really tired. And I enjoyed that. That was funny. And then... um. 
Uh, Arthur, would you like to stay for dinner? All right, sure. What are you having? Uh, oh, meatloaf. I'll have it. That's a funny scene. The rest of it, not so much. And then, like I said, um, uh, Frank becomes very unpleasant to Richie, and then the Fonz comes in, and you think the Fonz is going to be like, okay, you know what? You're going to have to learn to work with each other. You know, Richie, maybe you calm down you know, a little bit, you know, don't act so much. Like, I'm going to take over the place because you're clearly not going to working here. Maybe you'll get a break sometime. I mean, how many times have you heard stories about people like starting in mail rooms or building up from here? That's more or less what he's doing here. And um, so, so something could happen, uh, but it probably won't. And we know it won't because we know what happens to Richie at the end of this season instead of the next season. But, um, and then you think he'll say to Frank something like, hey, you know what? Um, he's here. You got to work together. Don't you dare threaten my best friend. No, that's not actually what happened. What actually happens is um, Richie sides with Frank. He says, um, Richie, you're just here to make money and, and start your sort of career and hopefully work your way up. But um, Frank is actually here doing his job, um, you know, paying bills. He's got a wife and a kid. So, you know, he's of course, he's going to feel threatened when you be here, so, when you're here. So, you know, be a little, be basically like be a little nicer about it. Be, you know, if he threatens you, take it with good humor. So the Fonz actually, for the first time ever in the show, I think gives really, I'm not going to swear, but just really bad advice. And you're hoping when he gives this really awful advice. I mean, could you imagine people listen to the Fonz? Could you imagine people being like, you know, in 1979, you know, kids in college or high school going like, well, I got my first job and there was a guy there who didn't really like me and he was verbally and physically abusive to me. But the Fonz says I should just take that because he's raising a family and I'm not. Horse dung, horse dung of the highest order. What Richie should have done is one of two things. One, I quit so long, goodbye, kiss my tuchus. Or two, gone to his parents and said, hey, Fonzie said this, what do you think? Mr. C may have said, well, I kind of agree with Fonzie, but Mrs. C would never have said, what, He's th he threatened you? He threatened violence on your person? No, that is not going to stand. And it's actually kind of... Stupid. Again, stupid writing. Um, the original version I did of this, I was very angry when I got to this. I'm being very calm now. I think it's bad writing, and I think it's a stupid lesson. It's a very stupid lesson, and Richie needs to get out of this job as quick as possible. I'll mention one more dumb thing, and then I'll wrap this uh, episode up. Um, so, yeah, so suffice to say, I like Marion Goes to Jail. This episode, I mean, legitimately gets on my nerves, and I'm sh sh sincerely hoping that this writer does not come back. I haven't looked ahead yet. But uh, the one last thing is there's a scene that second day when, what's his name, Frank becomes sort of violent. I mean, you, you'll see it. He's got, like, he grabs the cart, the big cart that they put all the newspapers on, and he's got Richie in a corner. He's, like, pushing the cart towards Richie's ankles, and Richie's having to jump out of the way. Now, now that's not going to kill Richie, but if he gets smacked in the ankles just right, that's going to hurt. He could shatter bones, something like that. And you don't do you do that at a job? Everyone, is that something you do at a job? No, it's not something you do at a job. Uh, but there's a moment where Richie brings in, like, here's the system I figured out that could work. And I just saw he, like, he has a piece of paper on his desk and he shows it to Frank. And Frank is like, ah, it's garbage, you college kid. And then he gets violent. But then Fonz shows up and then the boss shows up, sees the stuff, sees the system and says, what is this? What is this system? What is this? What is interesting. What is this? And Frank steps up and goes, yeah, I did that. Oh, did you? Well, it's garbage, and it's not going to work, and you messed everything up. Da-da-da. 
And Richie steps forward. No, that was my thing. Oh, you did this. Well, it's garbage. Be glad I don't fire you. And Frank's like, oh, okay. And, he's, and Richie's like, yeah, sorry. The idea was a bad idea. <laughs> Maybe we're friends. They're not going to be friends. A day or two from now, if Richie does something that Frank doesn't like, Frank's going to threaten him again. It's going to be the same crap. You know it's going to be the same crap with someone like that. But the thing about that, that idea that Richie came in with, the thing that was weird is it was a bad idea. It was a bad idea. But then when Frank tried to steal it, it was a good idea. And Richie, Richie's kind of less, more or less like, like when Frank steps forward and takes the idea, you know, Fonz is sort of there with him, like, no, no, let, let, let Frank have this. But the moment it's like, this is a bad idea, it's sort of like, okay, Richie, step in, step in, take, take responsibility, take responsibility. It's so weird. It's, it's, it's just so poorly, it's, 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 it's like, it's tough to describe because it's so, it's, it's so poorly done you know it's like no one is thinking when they're doing this and again i'm not gonna not gonna try to get mad but it just it's so poorly done just the way it's like uh do we bring this in these rotten ideas you college kid what do you think you're doing whose idea is this it's mine it's a bad idea oh it's mine oh you college kid with your bad idea what what? No, no one at any point? Like, like if the guy had said, oh my God, Frank, this is such a great idea, you're going to get a raise, blah, 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 what would have happened then? Would the Fonz have been like, hey, he's got a wife and kids, he deserves that raise. But Fonz, it was my idea, and I'm trying to start my life. I like the, the fact that Richie has made it clear that he's there because he wants to try to move his way up and become a writer, but that doesn't mean anything to the Fonz. It's more important that Frank, someone we see for 10 minutes in this episode, we'll never see again, hopefully, uh, is more important. His future, his present future is more important than Richie's is in this episode. And I think that's, again, I'm not going to swear, bad writing, bad episode, no happy days, no stop. Uh, I forget what two episodes are up next. I sent him in the original one. I'm not looking up anything about this episode. I, I, I'm not going to spend the time, and I, I don't mean to sound dour here, but I did quite enjoy Marion Goes to Jail. Um, and I, it maybe someday soon, maybe if you ask nicely, I'll let you hear my Richie um, Gets a Job ch- original chat because um, it's about the same length, but it's um, much louder and much more animated, and I thought possibly inappropriate. So I will leave it at that, everyone. That's the end of this one. And we'll be back next time with two more episodes, which I'm sure are are, are great. Joni probably does something. Maybe Ralph does something. I don't know. Maybe maybe there's a musical number. I don't know. But um, it'll be there. It'll be episode three. It'll be next time. I think we're entering November of 1979. I get very close to 1980. Very close to 1980. Listen to this. Oh,